the reading is from Matthew chapter 5. It's verses 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, our passage this morning gives us the main point of the whole Sermon on the Mount, so it's worth paying attention. Um, the main point of the Sermon on the Mount is this. I'll put it this way. These are my words, um, sort of adapting Jesus' words. Have a greater righteousness, a Jesus' righteousness. Jesus had a, a special kind of understanding of what it means to be righteous, and this caused a huge uproar. The really religious people of, his, of the day, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they watched him at a distance and they were shocked at what they saw. Uh, they saw a person who they believed was a bit loose with the law, who was a bit relaxed, was changing things. And this caused um, them to be outraged and eventually for him to be executed. And likewise, the early Christians, they were also persecuted for their new way of understanding righteousness, or at least a different way of understanding righteousness. So this controversial but greater righteousness is what we're focusing on this morning. Why is this important? Well, because being a Christian in this secular age that we live in um, is really hard. See, you might have declared yourself as a Christian and pitched your tent in the Christian camp, put your hand up and said, I'm a Jesus follower. But all the while you are haunted by other paths to the good life. You look at your colleague's life at work and you, and you wonder, maybe they've got it right. Maybe I've got it wrong. You talk to your friend and your friend says, man, I've been just, I've got this real regular commitment to yoga, to mindful meditation and to healthy eating. I'm following this diet and I'm just feeling great. And then you think, well, I'm not feeling that great. Maybe they've, they've actually got the right path. Perhaps you've got it wrong. Perhaps you've pitched your tent in the wrong camp. In the secular age, it's really hard to be a Christian because we're caught in a crosswind of competing beliefs. And so we're ducking for cover the whole time. So this means knowing what kind of righteous life Jesus is inviting to, inviting us to, is really important. So let's have a look at Matthew 5, 17 and 20, and see what he's talking about, about this idea of having a greater Jesus kind of righteousness. Well, first he has to make some kind of foundational statements. And the first thing he, he basically says is that he claims that he is the big story of the Bible, 
Let's look at verse 17. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So the Sermon on the Mount takes a turn here. Jesus' critics already are hearing his radical teaching, and they're accusing him of just being loose and fast with the Old Testament, loose and fast with the law, with the teaching of Moses, throwing it out. And so Jesus anticipates his criticism. He knows that they're thinking this. Um, and some He might have even heard them say it. And he says, no, that's not what I'm doing. No, he says, I see the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible, where the law is. And I also see the prophets, basically, let's just say that, the Old Testament. They, he wouldn't have used that language then, but that's what we can think of. I, I see that, says Jesus, as expressions of my own teaching. It's in alignment with me. I'm in full alignment with, with it. We go together. He's saying everything you know from the teaching of Moses and the teaching of the great prophets of Israel is in full alignment with me. So please don't think I've come to throw it all out. That's not right. And in fact, the very next verse affirms this, verse 18. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter... Not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, what he does go and do is he expands people's minds. He, he helps them to see the law and the prophets in a new way. He gives them a clearer, a grander reading of it. So facing his accusers, Jesus asserts in the strongest terms that his mission is not to abolish the law, all the prophets, he's to fulfill them. Now, he could have said all kinds of things. He could have said, I've not come to abolish the law, I've come to keep the law. Watch me and I'll show you how to keep it. But he didn't say that. He could have said, I've not come to abolish the law, but I've come to preach it loudly so that everyone can know about it. But he doesn't say that. He says... I've come to fulfill it. So what does he mean by fulfill? What do you think he means? By the way, if you read through the Gospel of Matthew, you'll notice, if you read through the whole New Testament as well, that Matthew loves this word fulfill. He talks about it more than any other book in the New Testament combined, if you add it all the times he says the word fulfill. So it's a big theme in the Gospel of Matthew. Simply put, fulfill means to be that which the other party pointed so in the context of the law and the prophets, it means that all the threads, all the themes, all the images of the Old Testament, all the patterns, all the predictions, all the laws pointed in one direction, and that direction was Jesus. So for example, Adam pointed to Jesus. Noah and his ark pointed to Jesus. Abraham and his covenant with God pointed to Jesus. Let's jump ahead to Moses. The Passover pointed to Jesus, which is why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. By this he means, you know what? Christ is the fulfillment of the Passover. He is the true Passover lamb. He's the, the, the landing point of the theme of the Passover. The event of the Passover lands in him. 
And then there's the law of Moses as well, where each law in its own way points ahead and it points ahead and finds its direction, its destination, its goal in Christ. And this is one reason why in the Gospel of Matthew, because he loves to talk about how Christ is the fulfilment of the law and the prophets, it's one reason he starts with the genealogy at the start of the Gospel. Because he's saying that all these people in the history of Israel and all the stories connected to them are all pointing in one direction. And now it's fine, it's landing, they've all found their landing point in this baby born in a manger. This is a huge claim from, from Jesus when he says this in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a claim about salvation and about theology and history and morality as well. He's claimed, claiming to be the one whom the law and the prophets looked forward to in hope. Nothing in history would be the same. The Torah had come to its goal. It had been revealed as having the face of Jesus. So when you read the Old Testament, hands up if you've ever read the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, it's crucial that you read it knowing that it's actually pointing to Jesus. We read when our boys were young, younger, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is written by um, Sally Lloyd-Jones. And the one thing I love about that book is how it shows how the stories of the Old Testament point to Jesus. So, for example, at the end of the story of Jonah, it goes like this. After three days, the fish spat Jonah safely out onto a sandy beach. Just then, Jonah heard someone calling his name. Go to Nineveh, God said. And this time, Jonah said, yes. He went straight to Nineveh and told everyone God's wonderful message. Even though you've run far from God, he can't stop loving you, Jonah told them. Run to him so he can forgive you. The people of Nineveh listened to Jonah and they started loving God. They learned to do what God said and to stop running away from him, just like Jonah. Many years later, God was going to send another messenger with the same wonderful message, like Jonah, he would spend three days in utter darkness. But this messenger would be God's own son. He would be called the Word because he himself would be God's message. God's message translated into our own language, everything God wanted to say to the world in a person. So even the reluctant Jonah finds his fulfilment in Jesus. So the great thing about reading that Jesus Storybook Bible is that not only do kids learn to do this, to see Jesus in the Old Testament being the fulfilment of the law and the prophets, but you get to learn this too. It actually requires practice. In my experience, most many Christians don't know how to see Jesus in the Old Testament. They, it's, a, it's just like a skill you need to learn. It comes from studying the Bible, a lifetime of studying the Bible and hearing Bible teachers and reading the Bible yourself, maybe reading um, books about the Bible and seeing how the New Testament connects Jesus back to the Old Testament. It's not like a special magic trick or anything. You don't need to be a professor to know how to do it, but you need to have your eyes open to the, the, this truth. When I was in upper high school, it was then that my Bible study leaders started showing me these threads leading to Jesus in the Old Testament. And I remember a light turning on for me. I got excited about the Bible in a new way. I started to see that some of the more 
what dare I say it, the more boring bits of the Old Testament, because, you know, you, get, you try and read the Old Testament and you get to sections you go, what is this about? But once I could see these threads connecting back to Jesus, actually they, the books turned around in, in my heart from being boring to being exciting. Jesus is the big story of the Bible. And if that's the case, then it's worth learning how to read the Bible this way and learning how to teach others this when you're in your own reading the Bible together in community. Well, this is one of the first foundational points Jesus makes. And he makes another point, which I'll just mention briefly in the next verse. He says, for this reason, you've got to take the law and the prophets seriously. Take the Old Testament seriously, because if you don't, there'll be serious consequences. Look at verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The, the rabbis had this distinguishing, they distinguished between light and weighty laws. So like a light law was one around the, the tithing of your produce, but a weighty law was about like how you treat the poor or blasphemy. That, that was a weighty law. And Jesus is saying, whether it's the light one or the weighty one, you, you know, they're all important and we're not going to set aside any of them. In the same way, Jesus is saying here, remain committed um, to the scriptures, to the Old Testament. And if you do this, you'll be called greatest in the kingdom. But if you mess around or, or remove it, you'll be called least in the kingdom. There's consequences for how you handle the Old Testament. Don't just chuck it out. Um, now, in one sense, this is exactly what the legalistic Pharisees and the teachers of the law are wanting to hear. They're going, yes, oh, maybe he's okay, this guy. You know, because this is what we're about to. We're about every single law. And we're going to add a few on top as well, you know. But he couldn't have meant that. He couldn't, he's definitely not affirming them. Jesus has more to say. And this is where we get to verse 20. And his big point, have a greater righteousness. Verse 20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is his main point. He compares his disciples, the disciples, his followers, with these other religious groups from the day. And he says, if the disciples' righteousness doesn't surpass their righteousness, then they will never enter the kingdom. That's pretty serious. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were viewed as the most pious of the religious groups of the day. The purpose of their life, they were, they were actually lay people, they weren't priests, um, but they were very committed. They were the most committed Jews in their, in their time. And the purpose of their life was to master the law and understand it and live it out. So for Jesus to compare his disciples with them would be like, if I said to you, think of all the most hardcore committed Christians you know, in your life, your righteousness has to exceed theirs. You, you, you would be thinking, what is he talking about? So what does he actually mean by greater righteousness? What could he mean? Well, first of all, he's talking about his law of love. 
The greatest righteousness that Jesus is talking about is made possible because what we see in the whole Sermon on the Mount is that he brought a higher version of the law which is focused on love. This law of love is a vision of humanity for those who are in right standing with God and whose love and eternal life is secure with him. Jesus lived this law of love out in his life, in his death and resurrection. He is the law of love. There's this um, theologian, a German theologian, Friedrike Nussel from Heidelberg University, and she says, unlike a set of commandments or legal norms, God's law of love builds on love's creative power to respond to the other to the challenges of life in which human beings are able to act as loving neighbours. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had got God's righteousness so wrong because they weren't motivated by love. This is why they were baffled by Jesus' behaviour. Remember the time recorded in Mark 3 when Jesus went to the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there and it says this, and there were already people there waiting to catch him breaking the law so they watched him closely to see if they, he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with Herodians how they might kill Jesus. See the radical righteousness of, greater righteousness of Jesus? The law of love, it leads to his own death, but he is motivated by love. And this is a really good lesson for us in these days, if we think in our times, because there can be different types of Christians. At one end, you can have a more kind of legalistic kind of Christian who might have a tendency towards judging others for their sin, shaming people in the church because of their sin, all the while boasting in their own righteousness. For them to have a greater righteousness, their obedience to God has to be motivated by love. Now, the thing about Jesus' law of love is that it can be abused as well because there's other kinds of Christians in the church, perhaps more progressive, more libertarian, who react against the more legalistic Christians and use the ethic of love to justify anything. They say we should be a newly relaxed and permissive church because of love. So, for example, where this often plays itself out, both in the battle between more conservative or legalistic Christians, not that all conservative Christians are legalistic, and more progressive Christians, not that all progressive Christians are completely like this, but you do see this, is it's over the issue of sexual ethics. One says the sexual ethics of days gone by don't matter anymore, and the other says they matter a lot, and there's one can potentially use a kind of an angry, shame approach and the other one can throw out the Bible. Both are wrong. 
what they need to remember is Matthew 5. The, the progressive Christian needs to remember Matthew 5.19, that if you play loose and fast with the teaching of the law and the prophets, then you'll be called least in the kingdom. So when they say love, we've got to ask, what are we talking about when we say love? A greater righteousness comes from following Jesus' law of love, which is the fulfilment of the Old Testament, the fulfilment of the law and the prophets. Jesus' righteousness that he offers to his disciples is a greater righteousness also because it's a righteousness that is internal, not external. A greater righteousness also comes when it's coming from the heart. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were all about external righteousness. So remember what Jesus said in Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So when Jesus talks about the righteousness of his disciples, and thereby our righteousness, he's talking about our behaviour inside and out. He wants our behaviour to be in alignment with God's nature, his will and his coming kingdom. The righteous person, according to Matthew, is the one who follows Jesus in this way of being in the world. The righteous person is the whole person who does not only do the will of God externally but from the heart. So the disciple who realises this and gets what Jesus is talking about when, when, he's, when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount will understand things like this. Jesus says, for example, a person who is obsessed with external righteousness will only be concerned with keeping the law to not murder. But the person who has the greater righteousness, which comes from the heart and is motivated by love, will be concerned with not even murder, but also hating the brother or sister, their brother or sister. Or a person who is obsessed with external righteousness, a performative righteousness, will only be concerned with the law not to commit adultery. But the person who has a greater righteousness, the Jesus righteousness of love, which comes from the heart, will be concerned not only with adultery, but also looking lustfully at a brother or sister. So Jesus actually raises the bar. So that's why it's a greater righteousness. And this is why he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. It's a whole body um, act of obedience. And lastly, and this is where I'm going to finish, Jesus' righteousness, the righteousness he calls us to, is a greater righteousness because it's made possible by his righteousness. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is the righteous one. He is the innocent man. That's what Pilate's wife called him. He comes to bring about the fulfilment of righteousness and he calls others towards righteous living. A greater righteousness based on his law of love that comes from the heart. And Jesus' greatest act of loving, heart-motivated righteousness was to die on the cross for our sins. All those who believe in him are given his righteousness. 
And he does not leave us alone, but sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts, to change our hearts, to shape our hearts, so that we can live out this greater righteousness in our lives. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great vision of a greater righteousness in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We pray for our community that we are neither legalistic nor loose and fast with the Bible, but that we work out the pathway of following you, the fulfilment of the law and the prophets. We pray as we accord in these crosswinds of competing beliefs that when we feel doubt in our own faith in you, that we are reminded of the true faith, a faith where Jesus is the main story of the Bible. We thank you that you do not leave us alone in this walk to live the righteous life, but that you give us your righteousness and your Holy Spirit so that we can live it out. Amen.